Jordan Bigler, a filmmaker out of Cleveland, Ohio, show up and, and where I was, and he said, Jen, has anybody ever made a film about what you do in the Amazon? I looked at him and I said, I don't know anybody with enough batteries to film what I do in the Amazon. No, nobody's ever come out to the Amazon. And he looked at me and he said, if you'll let me come, I'll buy the batteries. And he had a heart's desire from our Father God to create a featured film. And tonight at 7 o'clock, we are going to screen it here. It's called Amazon Arising, Joy in the Jungle. Who's coming? Now we have hands that are raised. I see how it is. <laughs> if you've got your Bible, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn with me. Who's that sound like? <laughs> we love you, Pastor Brian. Take your Bible and I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Because this morning what I want to share with you is not only my number one secret in missions, but it is my number one secret in abundant life. In John chapter 10 verse 10, it says that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. How many of you would like to have an abundant life? Well, good news. That's what I'm going to tell you about today. I'm glad you came. That's what we're going to talk about. I remember when I was about eight years old, I was sitting with my class on the floor in a service. And up on the stage, there were two missionaries from Africa. They were they're Americans who had gone over to Africa, and as they were explaining to us, they were doing what's called reaching unreached people groups. And I remember sitting there, crisscross applesauce, little pigtails coming out of my head. I remember looking at them thinking, unreached people groups? Really? Oh, you mean there's, there's people out there who have never heard the name of God? I grew up in the South. Now, I don't know about you guys, but here in the Bible Belt, I think we've got more churches than gas stations. They're everywhere, so I just couldn't understand. But I thought, well, if there are people out there who's never heard the name of God, and well, I know him. And then at that moment, Holy Spirit fell on me. I jumped up. I ran to the front of the stage. I said, okay, I'll go. You can take me. I'll tell them. I know Jesus. I'll tell the people. And from what I remember, they said I could go. That's how I remember it. So I went home, and I said, Mom, I need you to please pack my bags because um, there's these missionaries going back to Africa. They said I could go. And, and I need to go and tell the people about Jesus because they've never heard. And my mom did something so wise in that moment. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunties, uncles, you need to hear this. My mom recognized that Holy Spirit was moving. My mom didn't tell me I was crazy. She didn't say no way. She didn't say don't even think about that. She simply looked at me and said, honey, if you'll graduate from elementary school first, we'll talk about it. You all will be so happy to know I graduated from elementary school. I actually went on to high school, went on to college, 
went on to get my master's and was part of the way through my doctorate at NC State. Anybody, Wolfpack? Four of you, great. <laughs> I was part of the way through my doctorate before the call finally came. Ms. Foster, this is the International Mission Board. Are you still interested in unreached people groups? What do y'all think I said? Yes! I've had my bags packed since I was eight. I'm going to need to change those clothes. <laughs> I said, yes, I'm ready. Where am I going? Let's do it. And they said, well, we don't have anywhere for you in Africa. I'm like, oh. And they said, but is there anywhere you're not willing to serve? Well, that's a scary question. And I know the answer they wanted me to give. They wanted me to say, I'll go anywhere the Lord calls me. That was not what I said. No. I said, um, <clears throat> don't send me anywhere cold. I will be a terrible missionary in cold weather. I heard them cover the phone and laugh. They said, well, good news, where we're sending you is not cold. <laughs> How about the jungles of the Amazon of Brazil? And I said, glory, I'm going to get a good tan. <laughs> it's between 85 and 115 degrees year-round in the Amazon, and it rains every day. They say rainy season, it rains twice a day. Dry season, it rains once a day. And do you know what rain creates? Humidity. Oh, it's wonderful. I just love it. Well, I had set out at 28 to just plant one church among one unreached people group. That was all I wanted to do in life. That's what I was giving my life for, just to plant one church in one unreached people group. Now, how many of you think that could take a lifetime? If not, you go try it. <laughs> yeah. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, it says that we have a God who wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. In the last 10 years, we now have an evangelical presence in 12 formerly unreached people groups. Praise God. I have gotten to help build Four worship centers in the middle of the jungle of the Amazon, the last of which we just completed in December, the Lamb's Chapel Amazon campus. Isn't that cool? I've gotten to hand out over 2,000 Bibles to people who never even knew that a Bible exists. These people are now reading the Bible in their heart language or reading or listening to it on our solar-powered audio Bibles. And I've gotten to train 28 people from the jungle to go and be church-planting missionaries and pastors in the jungle. They're reaching their own because he is a God who wants to do immeasurably more. But a lot of people haven't gotten to experience this abundant life. A lot of people haven't gotten to experience the more. And, and I want to I wanna bring for you an example. 
See, I've found that a lot of people out there, they have a concept of God that's not necessarily true. A lot of people will, I've heard them say, well, well God, he's, he's an angry God. He just sits up there and, hmm, hmm, nobody's doing anything right. Hmm. And he's always angry with us. He's angry with everything we do. And people say, well, he's always upset. We can't ever do enough to be right. We can't ever do enough to make him happy because he's always angry. So now he's always upset. And well, then that gives us the concept that, well, he's kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, did you, have you read the Old Testament? I mean, like one group does something wrong and boom, clears out thousands of them. I mean, I'd be kind of scared of that too. That's a little scary. Or some people will say, they'll say that he's, he's mean. He's so mean, and, and he's very strict. I mean, seriously, have you seen all the rules in that book? Read the Old Testament, yeah? He's got all these rules that we have to follow, and then plus more, because then we've got to go to church every Sunday. We have to read three chapters every day. We also have to pray for two hours a day. I mean, he's so strict. He's got all of these rules that we have to follow. And then some people will say, He's so distant. He's that high and mighty guy in the sky. You know, he's all the way up there, and we're all the way, us little peons, we're all the way down here. And, well, I mean, he's, he's happy with us, and he's close to us when we're good, but when we're bad and mess up or sin, well, he's distant. He's absent. He doesn't want anything to do with us. Or, worse yet, he's vengeful. And he's going to get back at us. So if we sin, then the next day we're going to have a bad day. Or if we sin, then what's going to happen? Let's say that I, I, I cursed, and then later that day I stubbed my toe. Well, I stubbed my toe because I said that curse word earlier, but then I stubbed my toe and I cursed again. And so now he's, he's oh. <laughs> Then there's just this vicious cycle. But I want to ask you a question. What if the God that you think that you know isn't the God who is? What if the God that you think that you know isn't the God who is? Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, I want to read starting in verse 41. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Every year his parents, that would be Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. 
After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This moment changed everything. Now, Mary and Joseph have just lost the Son of God. That's bad, right? They rush back to where they were. They search for him for three days. And then they find him in the temple courts, in church, basically, right? They find him. And they say, son, why have you done this to us? And his reply is pivotal in Christianity. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? You see, in the Old Testament, there were hundreds of names of God throughout that time period, used thousands of times, but never once was that name Father. This changes everything. Because no longer is God a religion. No longer, because Jesus has come, is God that maybe seems distant. No longer is that a thing. Because it's not about religion anymore. What he's saying is, he's about a relationship. This changes everything. What if the God that you think that you know isn't the God who is? Now, 18 years after the whole Jerusalem incident, Jesus is with his disciples. And his disciples come up to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Well, that's a good request, right? That's really good. And so what, what he does is he begins to give them a prayer, an example they can use. I'm sure you know it. We say it here in the United States and even in Brazil. We say it at funerals. We say it at weddings. We say it at birthday parties. We say it in church. We say it with our kids before we go to bed. Right? Do you know it? The Lord's Prayer. Okay. Let's see how well you know it. Let's practice. Ready? Say it with me. Our. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. Again. Our. What's his name? 
His name is Father. As he teaches the disciples to pray, he teaches them what his true name is, which is Father. Because he's trying to show them a relationship. Now, Jesus continues on with this, and I want to read you a story from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, a very familiar story in Scripture, but I have to tell you that I believe that we've got something wrong in here. Many people would call this the story of the prodigal son. (laughs) Nope. Nope. The story is not about the son. Listen to the very first part of it. I just want you to hear this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Who's the story about? That's right. Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson about the father. Let's read. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my fair share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Gross. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out, I will go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, the reason that Jesus tells this parable is not because he wants us to know the five steps to how to return to our parents if we screw up. No, that's not the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story is the father. Now, I'm going to have somebody come up here and help me. Caitlin, if you'll come on up. And let me just recap. The son basically goes to the dad and says, well, dad, kind of wish you're dead, but you're not. I mean, that's, that's how you get an inheritance, right? As if somebody dies, that, well, but dad's not dead, so what do we need to do? We're just going to ask him for it. So, dad, uh, I'd like to go and have my inheritance money now. How rude. But the father empowers the son, and the father gives it to him. And so the son takes the money, and he goes off to a foreign land. And scripture says he squanders it on wild living. Now, I don't know if you need a definition of this, but we're talking drugs, alcohol, prostitutes, and parties, okay? The guy is having the time of his life. He's just making it rain. 
But, uh-oh. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, oh, out of money. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh. he's hungry. He's got no money. So he begins to hire himself out. Now, you need to understand, we think this is the lowest of the low, right? Oh, it was beyond that. A Jewish boy just went to feed pigs. Jews were not even allowed to look at a pig, let alone go and feed them. And then it says he became so hungry, he wanted to eat the pods of the pigs. Well, then the boy, Scripture says, comes to his senses. Now, this part is not in Scripture. How many of y'all know that there was the power of a praying mama behind that? Okay, back to the story. So, the boy comes to his senses and says, Even my father's hired hands, his slaves and his servants, have more to eat than me. I'll go back, I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Please, take me back, but not as your son. Take me back as one of your hired men. So the boy gathers his things and he goes back. Now, it says right here in verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Saw him. He ran to him. He hugged him. He kissed him. My son. Oh, my son. Son. Oh, my son. My son. And then it says he called the the servants and said, "Bring the best robe. The best robe in the house." would have belonged to the father. He wanted to take his own clothing and cover his piggy son. He said, bring the ring. The ring was a family seal. He wanted to put that ring on his son so that if anybody looked at him and said, You're not worthy to be his son. You were with pigs. You wasted your father's money. You squandered everything on wild living. He could say, "I, I know. I know, but daddy says I'm his. And then the father does something so cool. He says, bring the sandals. What, you think they were going to go to the beach? Like, what sense does that make, right? Actually, at that time, servants and slaves went barefoot in the house. Children wore shoes. And that father wanted with every step that that boy took to think, I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm a son. This Changes everything. Shut the door. Good. What if the God 
that you think that you know isn't the God who is. When the boy returned, the father, according to Scripture, didn't even bring up the offense. The father didn't even tell him how horrible he was, how stupid he was, or how bad he smelled like pigs. The father didn't say anything to him other than it says he hugged him, he embraced him, he kissed him, and then he threw a party for him. Church, that's how we need to be receiving people. Because that is how our loving, gracious, heavenly father is responding to us. What if the God that you think that you know isn't the God who is? I'm going to be real honest with you. I used to live under this mindset. For years, I lived under this religion. I had to read my Bible for so many chapters. I had to pray for so many hours. I had to go to church. I even had these little cards, and I even had to check off how many people I'd witnessed to that week. Seriously. And, well, if I didn't do it right, blew it again, I guess I'll have to pray twice as long tomorrow, and I guess I'll have to witness twice, to, twice as many people next week, maybe just to get back into his graces. Maybe then he'll like me again. And I will be honest that I even planted my first church under this mindset. I did it off of a checklist, and it was by the grace of God that he even let it happen. But then, kind of like that boy, I came to my senses. I read that story, and I thought, wait a second. This isn't my God at all. And so do you know what we need to do with this? Do, do, you, do you know? I figured it out. I, I'll help you. I, so I, I think we just need to take it, and I think we need to go over, and we need to kick open the door, and we need to throw it out. you got to get it out. You have to get it out of the door. And then you go. And shut the door. Because as long as that's in the house, you will never be able to believe this. But see, the enemy doesn't want you to know this. The enemy wants you to know that. Because if you know that, then you'll stay under bondage. If you know that, you'll stay under religion. And you'll never experience this abundant life. After throwing that out the door, I planted five more churches in the next three years. All with joy. What if the God that you think that you know isn't the God who is? Once I threw that out, Holy Spirit took me to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm pretty sure that after the Lord's Prayer, this is probably another extremely familiar passage, right? We say it at weddings. We say this to our kids. We say it to our spouses. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I believe 
that we always need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. I read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. And so if Scripture is interpreting Scripture, if Scripture is basically translating Scripture, then what needs to happen and what I can do here is I can actually replace the word love with God. Let's try it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always persevere. God never fails. Now, doesn't that change it a little bit? I mean, keep using it at your weddings, but let me tell you, this took it to a whole other level for me. And that's when I learned who he truly is. And when we get this, everything changes. Because it not only changes you, it changes the way that you minister with others. It changes the way that you relate to others. And if they experience this love, then they experience the Father. Three mornings a week, I hold a Bible study for kids in the Amazon, ranging between about the ages of 12 to 15. And... If they come to every single class of this course that I have after receiving Jesus into their lives, they get to go to the prize box. Anybody in here ever gotten to go to the prize box before? Oh, yeah. And in our prize box, we have brand new shorts and brand new shirts. Now, this is a really big deal for these kids because we don't have Walmart, okay? We don't have malls. We don't even have electricity. We don't have those kinds of things. And to get something brand new is really special because they have between 5 and 13 kids in every home. Can you imagine getting a hand-me-down? Down, 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 right? So this is a really big deal. Well, on this one occasion, I had three kids who had completed the course, and they got to go to the prize box. And I'm proud of all my students. I really am. But on this one day, I was super proud because there was a little boy named Jose who was getting to go to that prize box. Let me tell you about Jose. Jose comes from the poorest family in this tribe because Jose has no father. Now, I know it's common here in the United States for a home to maybe not have a mommy or a daddy in it. But in the Amazon, every home has a mommy and a daddy. But not Jose's. Jose also had a severe learning disability. It was very hard for him to read and to write and to do math. But little Jose came to every class and finished the course. That little guy ran over to that prize box, and he picked out for himself a brand new, oh yeah, pair of shorts. 
He showed them off to every single person in the room, including myself, like I had never seen them before. (laughs) He then took the shorts and he rolled them up. He put them under his arm and he went home with the biggest smile on his face. For the very first time, that little guy had earned something of his own. It was probably the first time he had ever even owned something of his own. Well, later that night, it was dark outside. And I heard a little knock at my door. I went to the door and I opened it up and there before me stood little Jose, shorts still under his arm. <laughs> I said, hey, Jose, what's up, man? What's going on? He said, um, hi, missionary, hi. I said, Jose, is everything all right? He said, um, I was wondering if I could trade my shorts. I said, of course you can trade your shorts, Jose. I have shirts in the box. Would you like to trade for a red shirt or for a black shirt? He looked at me and he said, no, no, no. Then he took the shorts and he held them out. He said, I I was wondering if I could trade these for a Bible. I just really want one of my own, he said. And it was all I could do to hold back the tears. That little boy that I didn't think was getting it was the one that was getting it the most. That little boy was willing to trade his most prized possession for a Bible so that he could learn more about this father. You see, if we're out there teaching religion, if we're out there teaching a checklist, if we're out there teaching people to strive, they're not going to be willing to trade their most prized possessions. That's why we've got to throw it out. So then what we are living is from the heart of the love of Father. So then people will want it. Well, Paul Harvey, I want to tell you the rest of the story. I promised little Jose he could keep his shorts. And I told him the next time that I was in the city, I would buy him a Bible of his very own. And I did. I gave it to him. He was thrilled. But then soon after that, I had to come back here to the United States to take care of some things with my passport. And while I was here, I told that story to a few people, and they said, well, Jen, you you have to go back. You have to go back, and for Christmas, you have to give all the Jose's, the big Jose's, the little Jose's, you have to give them Bibles for Christmas. And that year, because of their gifts, I packed 233 Bibles into my canoe. It was awesome. So that anybody in Jose's tribe who wanted a Bible could have one for Christmas. Now, as my very heavy canoe (laughs) pulled up to little Jose's tribe, guess who was sitting at the water's edge? Eleven months after the shorts incident, that little boy, Holy Spirit, had that little boy sitting right there 
Bible in hand. My canoe pulled up, and I looked at him, and his eyes caught mine, and you would have thought he saw a ghost. It scared me as much as it scared him when I watched him jump. I don't think he ever thought he'd see me again. And as he saw me, he jumped up, he ran forward, and he said, Missionary, I'm finished with this one. I'm ready for the next one. <laughs> that little boy, because of our good, loving father, went on to be healed in the name of Jesus of all of his learning disabilities. That little boy went on to not only lead his own Bible studies, he went on after training to be one of our church plant leaders. Because he wanted more of the Father. What if the God that you think that you know isn't the God who is? This changes. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to have our altar call team come on forward. If you've got a heart sticker on your shirt, if you'll please come on forward. Because this morning, we've got something special prepared for you. And I'm going to be really clear with how this is going to go so that there's no confusion at all whatsoever. I am going to pray a prayer of just four words. That's it. And I'll even tell you in a minute what those four words are going to be, okay? Four words. That's it. When I stop praying those four words, it's your invitation to move. Because what we've done up here is we've been in prayer and intercession for months for this moment. These people are not here to pray with you. They're not going to pray for you. They're not going to counsel you. I don't want you to come up here and tell them all your problems or your issues. No, these people are here for one reason, to give you a hug from your loving Abba Father. That's it. That's it. There's not going to be any talking. There's not going to be any praying out loud. There's not going to be any counseling. All that's going to happen is you're going to come and receive a love hug from your loving Heavenly Father. And many of us have seen visions and we've been given words that as you receive these hugs this morning, addiction is going to be broken in the name of Jesus. You are going to see depression leave in that instant. You are going to see cancer, disease, and sickness healed in the name of Jesus. You are going to see who you truly are, which is a son, a daughter of the Most High God. My four-word prayer is just going to be this. It's going to be, Father, run to me. Father, run to me. That's, that's all I'm going to pray. Every head's going to be bowed. Every eye's going to be closed. That's what I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm done, boom, come on up and receive a hug from your loving Father God. He's going to clothe you with his robe of righteousness. He's going to put a ring, a family symbol on your finger. He's going to put shoes on your feet 
this morning so that when you walk out of here, you will know that you are a child of God. It doesn't matter whether you've been saved for 20, 30, or 50 years or whether this is your first time you've ever even been in a church. This altar call is for you. All heads bowed and every eye closed. I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, run to me. Come on forward and receive your hug. Come on forward. Father, run to me. There's not going to be any talking, any praying out loud. Just receive from him. Just receive from him. don't deserve it still you give yourself away oh the overwhelming never ending reckless love of God No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb. 
I get really emotional when I see this because it changed everything for me. I no longer live under a checklist. I no longer strive. I get to just live with my daddy God and follow him where he goes and do, I get to do what he's doing. I just get to join in. And that's what's created abundant life. If you'd like to stay and come and get another hug. When I did this for the very first time, I came four times. I mean, just keep coming. If you got stuff in your life, just keep coming. I'm going to pray a blessing over you and then I release you to go. But if you want to stay, don't miss this moment. This changes everything. Abba, I thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for running after us. Thank you for not even bringing up the offenses, but just embracing us, putting identity back into us as children of God, and then letting us walk out an abundant life with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that as every person under the sound of my voice leaves this place today, they will experience a greater knowledge of truly who the Father is. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus.
And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.